What's going on, everybody? And uh, we thank you guys for coming back and sitting down with us for part two of our discussion with the great Jesse Reeves. And if you guys haven't had a chance to listen to part one, I would suggest going back and taking a look at that as we really talked about some of his current projects that he's got going on and uh, just some of the high level takeaways like from the combine. But from here in part two, uh, Adam, myself and Jesse, we kind of get more into the the strategy behind it, like how we translate some of the values that we're getting out into our fantasy rosters and into our startup rosters and things of that nature. So we uh, we got into that conversation. We started getting into some of the winners and losers of the combine. Uh, we got into a pretty deep discussion about Zach Moss, and he's just kind of been one of those guys pre-combine that kind of intrigued me just based off of looking at some of his uh, compiling stats. But I, I do wonder after the combine if still coaches or GMs are going to take a look at his profile and he's going to wind up getting overdrafted. So we talked about that for a bit, talked about some prospects that might fit into Jesse's beloved Chargers. And so uh, just uh, some hilarity that ensues after that when Jesse starts digging into you know, some of his passions and his loves being out west and attached to that team. Uh, we got another part coming. Uh, we appreciate everybody for stopping by. Uh, be sure to follow Jesse if you're not. Check out some of his work if you're not. But we'll go ahead and hop right on into it. Hope y'all enjoy. And here are your authors. Chris Allen and a- a- Adam Wildey. Yeah, and it really doesn't matter between the two for me. I mean, I could say that Jonathan Taylor's my one-on-one right now just fine. And then who – it's it's about situation. Just a quick aside real quick, just – Quick yes or no from both of you. Do you guys draft for need or do you draft best player available? In for your me personally, uh, yeah, it's uh, BVP or yeah. BPV. What about you, Jesse? Uh, I think it's a blend of both. It depends on how I've constructed my roster. If I am if I have DeAndre Hopkins, Amari Cooper, and Keenan Allen, I'm prob- and I have the 102 and Joe Burrow goes first in a super flex, I'm probably going to take Jonathan Taylor over CeeDee Lamb. Although I do believe that CeeDee Lamb is a lot more projectable. I do mm-hmm. believe I can account for him over a three-year, four-year period on what I expect from him. Jonathan mm-hmm. Taylor, I know he's going to produce at an early age. But yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to get carried away with that no, answer. Go ahead. Either no. way. I, I think it's a blend of both. I think you have to play both sides of the of the coin. Um, but if I'm just a well-balanced team and I'm looking to fill that gap, I will always go BPA. I'll always do that. Yeah, so the reason I asked that, and you brought up a good point, Jesse, but the reason I take JT there no matter what is because I talked about it a few weeks ago and I argued it a little bit on Twitter. I, I, you're going to get more return from Jonathan Taylor than you're going to get from CeeDee Lamb almost always, in my opinion. So I would take Jonathan Taylor and try to flip him for CeeDee Lamb just like I did Josh Jacobs and try to flip him for Nikhil Harry. Now Nikhil Harry is basically a throw-in and a Josh at this point. Last year you had to you know, flip a coin and try to decide. Um, but So I asked that because when, I'm, when I say that I'm swinging for the fences, I don't want people to think uh, that just sounds so generic and that's not really our thing. It, it, what I'm trying to say is that uh, – Okay, so my team's accounted for already without the rookie draft. I'm taking best player available because I want the most valuable asset that I can get from the rookie draft. I try to think of the rookie draft as a bonus, like it's uh, like it's my money that I get to spend. I think of the rookie draft as like my parents' allowance that they gave me. Yeah. And uh, I, I try to take that allowance and, and do what I can with it, like open a lemonade stand, which is what you know, you're taking Josh Jacobs, you're taking lemons and make it into lemonade where you could have took Nikhil Harry. And now you're sitting on him like, oh, my goodness, I love Nikhil Harry, but he's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. No, I, I took Josh Jacobs. I went and I got my Nikhil Harry. I made my money. So 
when I'm in my rookie drafts, I, I'm the reason I say I'm swinging for the fence is because I want to make the most money possible, and I don't really care if uh, if that player really helps me or not because if they bust, well, then I lost, but hopefully my team is already good because that's how you should feel. If uh, the hit rate in rookie drafts is just too bad for you to build around the rookie draft, it's it's not good. We, I mean, there's too many Laquan Treadwells and Josh Dotsons uh, of the world for us to really be relying on the rookie drafts. Your bulletproofs are, are never bulletproof. So uh, when you're going into these rookie drafts, just take the upside kind of players. That's how Miko got so high last year. Everybody just wanted to take the upside. So that's that's how I view these rookie drafts. Now, and I think that's fair, at least uh, to a degree, because the the hope is that like your squad, for the most part, unless you're like you're holding a lot of, I guess, like risky assets. So like the AJ Greens, like T.Y. Hilton's, like some of those older assets that are about to turn over mm-hmm. and, and you're not as well balanced and you're about to like essentially just tear it all down and restart. So if you are sitting on like a balanced team or whatever, like you, you can't like you should be aiming for some of those guys so that you can kind of push your squad like into being a contender if it's not already. And so you can maintain like that contention like year in and year out. So I, I don't know how I don't have much of an issue with that approach. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with it too. But I think you also I, I'm knowing. I mean, this has to do with you know roster limits and just in your standard dynasty league though too. I mean, I th- I think we all play in, in in leagues where it's like start two, but you can have four or five running backs if you want to. You can start oh, yeah. as many, you know have, have any any position, and that kind of does away with a lot of the roster construction limitations. I would say, but um, just in terms of like if I notice that I'm lacking uh, even in, in a super flex league that I'm lacking an average of of 20 points a week from my, from my quarterbacks. And I'm not making up that ground. I'm only getting, um, you know, I'm only getting a combined 25 points from both of my, my quarterbacks in that, that, um, in that super flex league. And I'm really missing out on points from that position. And I can, I can start to, and that's probably the most valuable position, but I have Saquon Barkley and I have Leonard Fournette and I have, um, the, the, the Miles Sanders. And then I have, you know, a stud to you know, a stud wide receiver. I've, I've DJ Moore and Christian Kirk and a couple other guys. I'm probably, I'm sitting at like the one Oh two, or, you know, if I'm sitting at the, the, the one Oh one, it's likely that I want to take Jonathan Taylor for points output, but I think the upside in that situation would probably cause me to go and grab a guy like Joe Burrow to hopefully mm-hmm. potentially make up that extra 20 points that I'm lacking. Cause I'm still yeah. I'm already getting that from another position, but I, I think, and that's, that comes with the way that you build your team and the expectations that you have, because the way that Adam described it is probably the smartest way you can do it because these are assets. You want to take these guys, you want to flip them for the most commodity after they do good, or mm-hmm. if they do bad, you kind of take the brunt of it and you take what you can with them. So that's, that's smart. But I also look at, um, you know, managing your team when we use these rookie picks on these guys, I, I never, ever pick a player. And this is just the way that I play fantasy. I pick a player because I want to be right. And I want that guy to perform. Mm-hmm. And I should. I, I do look at them at like assets. I do. And when it's time for me to sell, I will sell. When it's time for me to go buy, I will go buy. But I... I believe in my ability to pick these players correctly. And I, and I pick them with the full intention that this guy is going to perform and he's going to be on my team for as long as I want him on my team until I decide to sell him. If sometimes it certain last year, it did not serve me well, that style of management on my teams. It caught me in a lot of, 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 of really, really horrible situations where I was only winning two to three weeks. And um, it's because I didn't make the moves when I needed to, but um, and that's a part of the game, but it, just rookie drafts in general. I love picking these guys with the intention that they're going to be on my team uh, for a long time. And that's the way I build my rosters, man. 
and using my mentality it's is kind of fun because uh you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them like you want to you want to uh see how right you can be like okay i picked dk at 105 i I know Uh i want to sell him when he's flashing but he can flash more and he can flash more (laughs) aj brown i mean you could have sold him for a fortune but now you could really Really selling for a fortune. And you that's the up, hard part, though, too, is A.J. Brown. Dude, that's my guy. That was my wide receiver, too, coming out last year. You gotta, and, I have, and I have him. I have him in a league that me and you are in, too, Adam. We, I have oh, him. Oh, I, <laughs> I won't buy him. I won't buy him. Because I'm not selling him, though. And that's the thing. If I'm that guy, I know I could probably get, like – You should. I, I could get a super high first and, like, a good yep. probably under – forming guy like christian kirk or something like that you know getting that wide receiver 40 range and i I feel like the upside's probably a little bit more now i'm talking myself into this trade but anyway i target someone like sutton or something like that but my point is i I mean aj aj brown's fantastic but dk's like around behind him still and i don't see much of a difference between the two and one of them's attached to one of the best quarterbacks we've seen in the last decade and the other one doesn't have a quarterback so that's why i would be selling. honestly i'd be selling aj looking for dk um if you can a little and a little Maybe. extra, I just think AJ Brown is is he's going to take over the entire league. I absolutely <laughs> believe he's going to take over. It does not matter who his quarterbacking is. He is so damn good, mm-hmm. and he is going to continue to be so damn good. And right. I'm going to be the guy that everyone's going to come to when he is the wide receiver one after six weeks of of the fantasy season this year, oh, and everybody's going to want him. And if I choose to sell him, I'm going to sell him for just an absolute gold mine. Oh, look, you've first. got some explaining to do for my DFS uh, last year because he, there were definitely a few lineups that he was in that did not do too hot. There, there yeah. were weeks that he won, obviously. Oh, yes. absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. absolutely. But you brought there up, were some he disappeared, though. Yeah, you brought you brought up the, the one situation where if you uh, are in Superflex, you're sharing the same cringe that I'm sharing right now. It's so hard to get quarterbacks. So, uh, yeah, so I it's, I never draft for position, um, but since quarterback is so difficult, here's the thing you have to think about. Everybody thinks, all right, so uh, I would say it's probably consensus. Joe, Joe Burrow should go 101 in Superflex, and Tua, Tua will end up being the consensus 102, in my opinion. That's just what happens with quarterback, especially if he goes top five. Mm-hmm. But the problem is if you look at it like uh, your Sam Darnold's and your Baker Mayfield's, they're not anywhere near your Saquon Barkley's and your Nick Chubb's uh, in value, mm-hmm. even in Superflex. So really, why are we drafting those guys? Well, it's because we have to start two and you can't start two. So it's you're giving up a lot of points when you could honestly just draft Saquon or Nick Chubb and have played them in your Superflex spot in bed better off than having Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold. But that's just the way it goes. You want to have a quarterback in that second spot. So what I've been doing in the past, because I don't like being backed into the corner and having to take a quarterback instead of taking this absolute stud. I mean, nobody was taking a quarterback over Saquon, but you know, before Nick Chubb, before the before Sony, the quarterbacks were going. Um, mm-hmm. What I've done in the past instead, because I've just seen those quarterbacks not retain the value that those running backs would have retained, I just trade the pick for a stud quarterback uh, uh, an older stud quarterback, and then uh, you know get a little extra on top, maybe a second round pick, and get me into that second round or something like that. Then I can get the guaranteed points. And people just don't want those older quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matt Ryan's holding value, but if Big Ben last year was so cheap, and if mm-hmm. he didn't get hurt, he's probably a top five quarterback. Um, 
because we saw Deontay and uh, James Washington come on a little bit there at the end. And Juju, would if he would have played the whole season, it, he would have – Ben Roethlisberger would have returned so much value. And then you don't have to have that quarterback, whatever Sam Darnold ends up being if he plays 16 weeks, you know. So it, it, you don't, you still don't have to back yourself in the corner. If you need a quarterback, you need a quarterback in Super right. yeah. But yeah. take yeah. that pick and turn it into an old, quote-unquote, quarterback that's probably going to play three years – and uh, get you some extra on top of that instead of taking your, you know, two is going to be awesome. Joe Burrow is going to be awesome, mm-hmm. but you don't know that they're going to be top 10 right away, top five yeah. right away. Mm-hmm. I think with this class too, last year it was just kind of consensus Kyler Murray, and that was right. it. That it was, was Kyler Murray after that. And, and what, Drew Locke and Daniel yeah. Jones. Those <laughs> were the, the, the top three quarterback, and we kind of got – it was an odd situation last year, I feel like. Right. Uh, it was definitely not – it was one of these classes that just had it was very very thin at quarterback and uh, it was just literally Kyler Murray and even he had some issues. I mean, we were talking about his height and can he play in the NFL? Is he going to be able to um, transition with into the pro game and still playing in a college system? Yada yada yada. The list goes mm-hmm. on. But we didn't have this debate this year. We're talking about even outside of just Burrow and Tua. Justin Herbert has some extreme upside. Jordan he loves so like good. Yeah, Jordan Love looks like he can be phenomenal in the right system if he can get nurtured the right way. Jalen Hurts has wheels on him. That man yes. can he is going to have a ton of rushing upside if, if a team is willing to give him the starting position. There is about five quarterbacks in this class that I think um, you would if you are in need of a quarterback, I think you're probably going to end up having to snag one of these guys by the end of round two. And that's going to push some of yeah. the talent. Um, down the board when we look at the overall rankings and the ADP True. once it starts to roll out in these rookie drafts. But um, mm-hmm. for me, I would say it's it's probably – yeah, it should be Burrow 101. I think mm-hmm. it should be Burrow 2. I think you'll probably – it'll fluctuate a little bit depending on how the medicals come out. He's going to start the, the season on Pup no matter what. Um, but either way, I, I agree with what you're saying, Adam. Like This is kind of the spot where you – you want to pick a, a quarterback, especially early, but you really you don't know how they're going to pan out. So if you have any of those, for me, I, I'm in a league where I, I had Philip Rivers and Cam Newton. Cam oh, Newton, man. I just I those were the only two quarterbacks I had. I drafted Will Greer just in case something happened with mm-hmm. Cam Newton, and lo and behold, Kyle Allen is the, mm-hmm. the, the starting quarterback there. I rolled with Philip Rivers um, throughout my entire. Um, just as my quarterback in a super flex league, only starting him. Well, I made the decision. I had the 102, the 108, and I believe I had um, another first rounder, a couple early seconds or whatever. I packaged that 108 with um, a couple early seconds and with Ezekiel Elliott, and I shipped that off, and I got Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. Um, I think I got it. I may I still have the 102 though too. Right. So yeah. I think like if you can swindle moves like that in your super flex leagues and you mm-hmm. can get a guy who might be kind of a lot of people are on the fence about Dak. They don't they have been for since he became a starter, you know. Right. Oh, talk to Dallas fans, man. They're still on the fence. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone's on the fence about Dak. I think he is an absolute contributor in terms of fantasy. I think yep. we've seen his interceptions kind of come down a lot. He's not giving the ball away as much. He's taking care of the football and I think that um He's kind of coming into his own, but that's a situation where I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, and then kind of give away some some of those older assets and go grab your quarterbacks and then pray you hit on skill position in the draft. And if you want to take something away from the combine, Herbert looked fantastic. And if yes. you want to say, if you want to say, well, he's passing in underwear, like what do I care? Okay, but then watch Jalen Hurts. 
Like, and mm-hmm. I like Jalen Hurts, but they're doing this the exact same thing. And Jalen Hurts missing wide open receivers, and Justin Herbert. I don't think he missed a pass. I don't think he did. And the year that we had the five quarterbacks come out, they were all <laughs> supposed to be fantastic. Uh, we had you know Rosen Mayfield, Darnold. The, they were missing passes. I mean, Lamar with all of his passing issues, he couldn't hit a ten yard out to save his life, and he ends up being one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So mm-hmm. you want to say you you don't take you can't take away anything from the combine. Well, people just cherry pick what they want to take away from the combine, whatever fits their narrative. I didn't even like Justin Herbert, and I'm telling you, I, I watched every single pass of his. Don't know if I remember missing him missing one, and they just looked natural, very fantastic. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. got incredible arm talent, and I know it's on the show sheet. We're going to talk a little bit about it later, but one of these one of these guys that we're talking about at the quarterback position is you're going to be drafting with knowing that he's an L.A. Charger, and that's my team. <laughs> that's my bread and butter, so it's fun to talk about this class, but I don't know which one of those guys we just talked about is going to be doning that lightning bolt on their helmet, but – uh, that gives me it makes me even more pumped, and I've been doing a lot of deep dive on these on this quarterback class, just kind of on the side because there's some good talent here, man. There's some good talent. I'm very excited about it. So. Yeah, I think I think so. And actually, I mean, let's let's I guess pull that back or pull on that thread for just a minute. I mean, because so looking at the Chargers, I mean, because that that that's your team. So I know you're close and uh, you follow them as much as possible. I know, like when the uh, the Turner Okung trade went down. I mean, you probably like passed out like for like an hour or two. Phenomenal trade. I thought it was a phenomenal oh. trade. It was a little oh, weird. Yeah. Rarely do we see one to one trades for players in the NFL. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some type of draft comp and this close to the draft too. Uh, when I saw it happen, I was like, ah, we gave up. We gave up a third. I was like, yeah. we had to a third. Right. I was like, I was praying. I was like, I know we didn't give up a second. We could have drafted a guard there. Like, yes. we yeah. But sure enough, yeah, I was. I was a little bit. Uh, I was surprised. I guess like what is your what is your thought on like the team like moving into moving into 2020 I guess and beyond too because I mean we're, we're already talking about I mean the Chargers should most likely draft a quarterback at, at some point in the draft so that's that's one thing uh, mm-hmm. Melvin Gordon most likely gone like in yeah. free agency uh, Hunter mm-hmm. Henry uh, free agent but I'm assuming he's gonna hit the ta- he's gonna get tagged at least that's my mm-hmm. assumption. That's what uh, they've came out with. Yeah. So and like and not to say that he was a huge contributor, Travis Benjamin like release. So they might need some depth at, at wide receiver. So, I mean, we've got depth of talent at wide receiver in this uh, 2020 class. We've got quite a few quarterbacks in this class. We've got some decent running backs, although I mean, and I've from the um, from the interviews that I've seen from Coach Lynn, it doesn't seem like they're all too keen on making Austin Eckler like their number one guy. It looks like they might be looking to add like in that, whether it be through free agency, the draft or whatever. So at least just looking at what the chargers need within the context of what we have in this draft. I mean, what are your expectations or what are your thoughts looking at this 2020 draft and also what the chargers need? Mm, Excitement. I'm excited. Uh, I posted this on Twitter the other day too. You got to understand. I I fell in love with the, the Oh six chargers team, LT Gates, Mm. Rivers, Drew Brees on his way out. Um, that's the team that I fell in love with, making that run to the AFC Championship, torn ACL. You know, we're talking like that's the team that I fell in love with, and this is the first time since then that I will ever get to see a Chargers quarterback that is not Philip Rivers in a regular season game. Uh-huh. So that is, I'll get that off my chest. I'm very, very excited for the future of this franchise. But with that being said. 
there's a lot, it's going to be an entirely different team. I know a lot of the, the, a lot of pieces, some, um, some really big pieces are staying Keenan Allen, Mike, uh, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler is going to, is going to be there again. I think ideally you want to retain Melvin Gordon, despite what a lot of people think in terms of bad blood or other things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's animosity there. I think your best bet is to probably look to, to, to retain Melvin Gordon, depending on the cap space that you, that you end up using um, in free agency. And that's the kicker though. I think free agency tells us everything because this class, like we just got done talking about is absolutely loaded at the running back position. Mm-hmm. I think you, you slot any one of those top five running backs in, um, in into LA and that's that you're looking at a potential fringe RB RB one, at least at the very least a top 15 running back like Melvin Gordon has been over the past, um, you know, three, four, four seasons. Mm-hmm. And, um, and with that, with that said, um, I think that's going to be a major, major need come come draft if they don't retain Melvin Gordon. Austin Eckler will not be the 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 bell cow back. He will be a guy. He didn't even he didn't retain that type of role even when Melvin Gordon wasn't there. He split carries with Justin Jackson. Right. Um, we saw Tremaine Pope um, kind of tote the rock a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. Justin Jackson didn't produce as much as he should have with the opportunity he was given to. We should have seen less Austin Eckler. Yeah. Exactly. We should have not seen that he wasn't lot. fantastic. I didn't mean no, that. He but right. Justin Jackson was supposed to be a lot better given what he exactly. had done previously, and he just wasn't. It, so we got to see more Austin Eckler. He doesn't. They, neither of those guys necessarily fit what the LA wants to do. They right. are a gap run team. They're not a zone team. They're not a zone team that relies on. I mean, they can go zone when they want to spread things out, but they're primarily a power running team. That's what Anthony Lynn likes to do: power gap scheme where he can get a big body running back through the a gap through the B gap and he can just kind of split the tackles and he can get upfield in a hurry. That's what he wants to do. He wants to pound the rock. Another reason why we, we went ahead and got Trey Turner because he is a mauler in the run game. That guy is physically imposing guard on the interior. Um, so for me, I think running back is definitely a need. And you kind of brought up a really fun piece to this too, is that Travis Benjamin, who has been irrelevant for the past three seasons, two, two to three years, um, he is officially out. Now we're looking to, I, I think that the uh, when it comes to offense, that's probably the most revamped side of the ball for the Chargers, and mm-hmm. they're going to look to add a speed element. I would not be surprised if if Jalen Rager is sitting there at thirty seven, and they pull the trigger on that guy oh, right man. there four four seven with that speed. With the, the you can throw him in the slot, you can interchange him with the Z and the Y with um, with Keenan Allen. You let Mike Williams run the X, and just just that is an explosive trio of wide receivers right there. If I've ever seen one, they mm-hmm. could also choose to go later with a guy like Devin Duvernay, who's got legit track speed as well. Okay. You can get him later in the draft. Um, they're going to look to add that speed element. But it all comes down to what they do at the quarterback position in free agency and the draft. That is the biggest telltale sign that we're going to see. If day if if we get to um, if we get to March 18th, I believe it is, and not, not this upcoming Wednesday, but next Wednesday, and free agency kicks off, and one of the first notifications that you get is that the Chargers are in pursuit of a of a quarterback, you can probably expect that sixth pick to either be a potential offensive lineman, or maybe they go defense with with Isaiah Simmons or Jeff Okuda. There's so many ways that this team can develop, but for fantasy purposes, um, in general, you're going to have a brand new offense to really look at. The only key pieces you can expect to kind of continue um, moving forward would be Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams. Mike Williams is a super sleeper. He he passed a thousand receiving yards, had major, major touchdown uh, regression this year. But I think a lot of that has to do with the way Phillip Rivers was throwing the ball. That mm-hmm. team 
when they did make it to the red zone, they were not, he wasn't throwing, if he was throwing picks and when they yes. did, they were going back to the house or um, he was, they, they, they would pound the rock three straight times and would never get in. So um, it's, I think Mike Williams, Keenan Allen are the two guys, Hunter Henry too. Um, there's, there's, uh, there's so many pieces of this offense. Uh, those three guys in particular that you're going to want to retain on your fantasy teams. You're going to want to keep track of. Cause I think that any quarterback that comes in, especially if this team does what I need them to do and draft Tua, <laughs> yeah. if that happens, um, these guys are going to skyrocket in value because Tua can move the pocket. He's the most accurate guy in this class. And every single player on that team is going to just – they're going to skyrocket in value with a guy like Tua. I mean, and possibly Justin Herbert too. Um, so, yeah, it all comes back to the quarterback position. I'm excited, as you could tell. I could ramble for 45 minutes about that. <laughs> just on them. <laughs> yeah, just on them alone. But Hen- Henry gets tagged. Austin Eckler will not be the RB1. Right. They will put somebody else in there. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams will operate as, as, um, as usual. Keenan Allen will continue to be a wide receiver one. Williams should creep into that fringe wide receiver 20 uh that, that wide receiver two um uh range this year and it's all going to come down to the quarterback so very mm-hmm. excited if Tua goes to do, does herbert go to the chargers you think absolutely yes i don't think there's any there's no scenario where um justin herbert and where joe burrow justin herbert and i say joe burrow just loosely if there's any chance that he passes on him or anything i think they better they not man I will I think move they, out of Ohio if that happens. If you really think that Tua is the best quarterback in this in this draft, you you retain Andy Dalton and you let Tua sit for the first eight games, right. maybe a year, and you let him go. And Joe Burrow is he you pass on him because I I firmly believe that Tua is the best quarterback in this class. I do too. And mm-hmm. if I'm a franchise picking at one and I want to do my due diligence, I'm probably taking Tua. Not, I mean, I love Joe Burrow. I love what he offers. I mean, that kid can make every throw in the book. He had a fantastic college season. But mm-hmm. if you want to get down to the nitty gritty, there's a chance that that Cincinnati feels that way too. And if they somehow pass on on Joe Burrow, then he becomes an option. So if there's mm-hmm. any of the the big three quarterbacks there, I think that one of them is going to go to the Chargers. The question is, is Justin Herbert probably goes to six without having to get a trade up or anything. You can retain all your draft capital there. Tua or Burrow are going to require a trade up to three or two. And that's what it's boiled down to. All right, Jess, you guys are about to get started on the 2020 class. I'm going to go help out with the baby duties. But Jesse, I really appreciate you coming out and I appreciate everybody listening. Absolutely. Go take care of that beautiful baby. Thanks, man. (laughs) Yes, man. Go do your your duties, man. But uh, I mean, so let's let's go ahead and then dive in. I mean, we've been dancing around it. I mean, the different players. I mean, most of the guys are up at the very top. And uh, I mean, we've talked about like JT. We've talked about Dobbins, Acres, and like some of those guys. Uh, but I want to try and go like a little bit deeper. And like after after the combine was done, I mean, who are some of those guys that stood out? I mean, we talked about Mims. Uh, I mean, Gandy Golden for me. Uh, I mean, were in, were there any other standouts that? between the senior bowl uh, and then after the combine that you were thinking maybe, okay, well uh, you know, maybe I have to either reassess or maybe there's just something about like I'm, I can continue to value them the way that I was prior to like they, they showed me what I was expecting heading into the combine. Did anybody stand out for you? Uh, this, I was probably a little bit lower than consensus on him. I still do have him in my top five, but Cam Akers with that four, four, seven, just kind of just showing off that speed, that athleticism, athleticism sitting at two seventeen. He weighed in, I, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, one, 
22 broad jump, he just, I mean, a 35 inch vertical, he just kind of like, he just, he just absolutely popped. I mean, yeah. he kind of popped when it comes to the physical profile. And I think we saw a lot of what he did in, in Florida state, um, as, a product of being a bad in a bad system. And he, he performed, man, he, he did a fantastic job with what he was given. So, um, I think the physical nature of, of, of the way he was, uh, able to handle himself at the combine, I think that boosted his stock for sure. He was definitely somebody that, um, I still kind of have in the same range because I, like we discussed earlier, I'm not double counting anything. Right. Um, I have about that four to five spot. I kind of fluctuate on him and Clyde Edwards, uh, Hilaire, on, on where I want to rank those guys outside of the the big three. And honestly, Swift can probably tumble a little bit too. I just know okay. the top two guys that I knew coming into this process were, were Dobbins and, and JT. And JT kind of solidified himself as as the one for right now until um, Dobbins can get in there and, and hopefully give us some testing numbers. But for the most part, I think what we're, we're – we're, if we're talking about the biggest risers and fallers, I think there's two biggest risers. You're looking at Mims and Justin Jefferson, and you're looking at the mm. biggest fallers has to be Tyler Johnson and Brian Edwards. And those are major flops for me because I have Brian Edwards. Or I, I did previous um, to, to this. Um, I have Brian Edwards and Tyler Johnson as, as tier one wide receivers based on age adjusted metrics and production profiles um, that, that they gave us in college. But um, giving us more data points uh, because it's not that that Denzel Mims and Justin Jefferson didn't have those profiles. They weren't. Mm-hmm. They just weren't as strong. And I think the biggest thing we have to do here is remind everyone that as much as we like to think that we know everything, the the combine sways GMs and owners, and that we need to make sure that we're accounting for. Right. Too. You know what I'm saying? So when we talk about these risers and fallers, it's not like, oh, you know, Justin Jefferson, he ran a 4-4-4. Man, he's, he, you know, now he's good. No, he's always been good. But now the NFL knows that he's good because he ran that 4-4. Or they're assuming that that athleticism is going to translate. And for that, he gets bumped up a little bit in my rankings because I believe the draft stock is going to be higher. So, um, th- yeah, those were definitely some some winners and some losers. Um, Zach Moss, RIP, man. Just... <sighs> I don't know what to do with. I mean, like, talk to me about Zach Moss for a second here, because I, I've looked at, uh, I, I've looked at his, I guess his raw stats. I mean, you're you're averaging like over a thousand yards like per season. I mean, not too terribly involved in the passing game, but enough to hit some of those thresholds, right? I mean, like, I think he averaged like somewhere around like twenty balls, or at least at like twenty to twenty-five, I think, in his final season. But it's just. I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing at least a little bit of speed. I'm seeing like a decent amount of uh, well, I mean his yardage totals are definitely one of those things that kind of pop like jump out at at you when you look at him. So it's just I'm wondering if and this is kind of the my take on where he's going to wind up going or like how the draft is going to wind up falling for him this uh, this season is that a GM head coach or whatever is going to look at his stats. They're going to look at the way he runs. I mean north south runner. And mm-hmm. it's just they're going to look at him and say, like, I want that grinder. They're going to see that and they're going to start they're going to ascribe most of those uh, descriptors that we think about some of those like the goal line grinder, like that type of back. And he, he presents to me the most worry of somebody that's going to wind up being overdrafted than like where he should be valued at, which would be like at, at best, probably a day three pick. Like that, at least that's my thought, like kind of walk into it. But what do you see like with Zach Moss? 
Yeah, I think we have to value him as the teams value him because that the running back position, they're highly predicated on, on the situation that they go to and the draft capital that teams spend on them. We can tout um, all these athletic uh, abilities and the, the 40s and the height and the weight and speed scores and all that. And what that does is that generally intuitively thinking that's what boosts the draft stock, which is the biggest correlation to success that we have for running backs coming out of the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so it matters in that sense that it boosts draft stock. If we look at just correlation between height and weight and all that stuff, we, we don't really see anything. When we look at production though, Zach Moss, 21, um, I believe his uh, he averaged about 14% of the the overall receiving yards throughout his entire career over at uh, at Utah. 14% is very high up there. We're talking that's Cam Akers' status, not quite DeAndre Swift or a guy like Keyshawn Vaughn, but that's higher than um, than J.K. Dobbins. Definitely higher than Jonathan Taylor, who's mm-hmm. uh, whose average is the least out of any of this class. But he's definitely up there in terms of receiving ability. He's a guy that when you watch him, though, he is not a he. He is not a guy that you that wows you. He's not a guy that strikes you as being a well-rounded back. Like you said, you mentioned north-south. He very much is. He's a guy that you want to split the tackles, give him a duo kind of, kind of scheme where you know you get your guard and your tackles to um, contribute on a double team and open up a lot of space for him on the inside, and you just mm-hmm. let him kind of just go. Get upfield and go. And once he's able to get to that next level, dude, he rips off some big gains he is very capable he's got burst at the line of scrimmage not a long speed kind of guy but he relies on a lot of contact balance to really get himself that extra yardage he sheds guys like no other and he can catch the football so he's not he's not necessarily a an east and west kind of shiftier kind of back but um very efficient in between the tackles very efficient in the the passing game and when we look at it, you know his overall athleticism it kind of lines up with the type of runner that he is, but it also kind of sucks because teams are going to notice that. And mm-hmm. they're, I don't think they're going to be willing to pull the trigger on him um, as, as, as highly as we want to see him for fantasy purposes. I think he's a day three guy. He's probably around four around five guy. And mm-hmm. uh, I think te- he's, I mean, he's best suited to be a, uh, like a one B maybe, a, you know, one, a one B kind of, or maybe just a change of pace pass catching back in the NFL. I don't think we're going to get much production out of him. Um, and it, not, not immediately at least, but he is kind of one of those guys that obviously poses a lot of upside in terms of if he were to go to a team, like um, I, I will use the, let's just say the jets, for example, okay. Le'Veon Bell were to go down. Zach Moss is a guy who produces a bell cow who I think would be able to thrive. Who's a different running back. You'd probably have to switch the scheme up a little bit, go more, um, more gap heavy, more power probably. But mm-hmm. uh, he's a guy that can come in, assume that role and become a de facto number one and probably be week in week out. De facto number one, he won't come in and take a job, but he mm-hmm. can, can assume he uh, uh, he can assume his role as an RB one in the league. So with that, he has some upside. Let's just hope that a team sees that and maybe draft him a little bit earlier. That uh, that way we can we can add a little bit more value to him. But that forty time that's going to hurt his draft stock. That yep. athleticism is going to hurt his draft stock. So we have to account for that. Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, when I was thinking about like his, I guess his draft stock or like the prospects for him, like moving forward, it very much uh, to me seemed like he needs to be in the right scheme. Like for him to find success, it has to be a very much a scheme fit. And coaches and GMs have to plan for that. Like I could not see him, yeah. I guess, thriving in like San Fran. I, I don't, I no. don't see that. Like I, I don't, I really don't see that. I could see him thriving possibly in Buffalo. 
Like have mm-hmm. to be the one B to a Devin Singletary, like in a scheme where you have your quarterback, you have your like your mobile quarterback going in one direction, catch yeah. passes going. I mean, I think that might suit him. Like a, another, a situation like that might suit him. I, I, another situation we just talked about it. The Chargers they yes. want to pound the rock between the tackles, and they already have Austin Eckler. This could mm-hmm. probably be a, one of a very very uh, positive situation for a guy like Zach Moss to go and get some touches early and be kind of a bell cow back. I don't want him. Um, uh, you know, necessarily. <laughs> you know, I, I would I would probably rather take an, uh, one of these upper echelon running backs in the first three rounds. But Zach Moss right. is not he's not a bad consolation prize in a in a power scheme like that where you have another running back who can kind of do it all like an Austin Eckler and stuff. So I'm I'm right there with you on that. Right, and I can almost see. I mean, this this might be me daydreaming or something like that. But I mean, if we're if we're looking at we're taking just a short term view, and we're looking at the Seattle backfield, right? I mean, Chris Carson's hurt, Rashad Penny is hurt. We don't know what their status is going to be coming into twenty twenty season. I mean, could you see somebody like Zach Moss, like kind of fitting into that scheme that they're trying to they're trying to use, uh, like in Seattle? Uh, I I definitely could. It would just. It... I think it would be hard. Is it's Chris? Chris Carson's not going to be a free agent. They just didn't. They just. Mm-hmm. Ex- I thought they did, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. I mean, contracts the- aside, though, I guess is where is kind of where I'm at. I'm just look, I'm looking at yeah. like per like a scheme fit. Like I think that could work with them. I definitely think so too. You like you look at a guy like Russell Wilson. They like to move the pocket around. I think uh, Zach Moss. He's not bad in pass protection either. So he's somebody that can that can pass protect for Russell Wilson, and he kind of shake his la- his his landmark, get off the uh, the pass rush, and then kind of shake out to the side swing route. Give um, Russell Wilson that kind of option on the outside uh, wheel routes and such. Um, he's a, he's a pretty a pretty good pass a pass catcher, and he was used on the outside as well. So I know that he offers that di- dynamicism or dy- dynamism. Dynamism. Yeah, dynamism. That's what it is. I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That that dynamism in terms of being able to be a pass catcher, but not just one that catches out of the backfield. He can run some routes and stuff. So yeah, no, I definitely could see him thriving in a specific place. And that's it, like as much as this forty time is going to kill him, we do mm-hmm. like to production profile of these running backs and this is where you are able to find upside in the later rounds of your rookie draft if zach moss falls to the fourth round of your rookie drafts based on this this four seven 40 or four six i believe maybe i think it was like four six seven or four six nine was seems right yeah something like still horrible absolutely Mm -hmm. horrendous for for um his stature his size and everything but right even if he falls to that fourth round, I'm taking a stab on him because I know he can handle a workload if he gets it. He's just not going to get it right away, but he can handle it. And that's what that's what paying off, paying dividends in, in evaluating guys like this and looking at the numbers, watching that tape and, 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 and really viewing these guys. That's what this can help you do is find those kind of late round snags that you want to you want to get. And I guess we'll go ahead and cut it off right here. We still got about 20 to 25 minutes left, so there will be a part three to this, and hopefully you guys uh, will check it out here in the next couple of days. But uh, I love having conversations like this where we can kind of toss the show sheet aside for a little bit and just kind of dig into specific players or specific strategy tactics. And I think Jesse just kind of graces with his time and allowed us to really dig into his mind for a little bit and uh, figure out, how we can value or how we can adjust to how NFL coaches and GMs might value players uh, like Zach Moss, like any of the other uh, prospects we wound up discussing uh, tonight. So I appreciate you guys checking us out. We've got a third part on the way that should drop here within the next couple of days. Uh, In the meantime, check this out. Check part one out. 
follow Jesse Reeves if you're not already. But uh, stay tuned. We got a third part coming on the way. 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain praying for the fantasy championship hit the books kid read this pamphlet called the dynasty owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic